We have a number of selected scripture passages for this Christmas Day sermon. We're mainly going to focus, though, on Psalm 22, the reference to Psalm 22, the reference in Isaiah 53, and Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 to 23. So I invite you to join me in turning in your pew Bibles to Psalm 22. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 860. Starting the reading in verse 1, going to verse 11 of the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. And you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at... My mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Turning now to Isaiah chapter 53, can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 1145. Starting the reading in verse 1, going through till verse 6. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now turn with me into the New Testament to Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. Pew Bible, page 1498. 
After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, may you bless this word this morning. May we know, Lord, more of the glory of Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, now there's a, uh, a long-standing debate about uh, depictions or pictures of Jesus um, in the Reformed faith. Typically it goes like this. Should there be uh, pictures of Jesus because the second commandment says, you shall not make any idol or image of God. Jesus is God. Um, therefore, should we not have any pictures of Jesus? This goes down to picture Bibles. This goes down to many of the pictures that you will see painted and put in churches. Um, but uh, I don't want to get into that debate. One thing I do want to talk about, though, concerning that debate, is that typically when you see pictures of Jesus, paintings of Jesus, depictions of Jesus, uh, he's beautiful. He's lovely. Uh, someone who is pleasant and has attractive features. Uh, which says something, I believe, about our nature as humans. Inherently, we know that Jesus is God, so it's very hard for us to, uh, to desire to depict him as merely human. It's hard for us to draw or to paint or display our Savior as something undesirable. Someone plain, simple, someone even despised or lowly. Yet that is the very way that the prophets describe the Savior and that Matthew references in our passage today. He's not just the Son of God. He's not just the Son of Man. He's not just the root of Jesse. He's not just the seed of Adam, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. He is not just the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He's also Jesus of Nazareth. That's a locale. That's a location. That's a hometown. And not just any hometown. Nazareth was a location which was frowned upon, looked down upon from the cultural and social center of Israel, Jerusalem. And this is where we get this concept or this idea of just how lowly Jesus is. And one of my favorite songs this Christmas season has been lowborn by the band Wolves at the Gates. Just a forewarning, if you go and listen to that, it's a heavy metal song. And so there's yelling and screaming and rock guitars. 
But it's a beautiful Christmas song, if you like that sort of thing. And in that song, they say, hear the song of the angels. Glory lays in a manger. Fear not the advent of the great I am. Humble he comes to the world as a lamb. Lowborn. Lowborn is our Savior. And I think that strikes at the very heart of the Christmas story. And I think the very heart of the Christmas story is the theme that he became like us so that we could become like him. He became like us so that we could become like him. Christ became like us in every way except sin so that we might become like him. In our passage today from the uh, birth narrative in the Gospel of Matthew is, uh, is very informative in that particular area. It seems to be that Matthew is honing in on a location. He's honing in, uh, going from a broader perspective to a, to a more localized perspective. And you see that in his references to uh, the call back from Egypt to the land of Israel. And then Joseph's desire not to live in the area of Bethlehem where they were living before, but to go to the district of Galilee. And then finally, from the district of Galilee, more localized to the town of Nazareth. And that's our three points this morning, the land of Israel, the district of Galilee, the town of Nazareth. And these locations, I believe, point us to this concept or this reality that Jesus came into this world. He became like us so that through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we might become like him. So let's look at that first point, the land of Israel. We're told that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said to him, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Um, and then in verse uh, 21, so he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This reference to the land of Israel is particular. It is, um, it's, it's something that's meant to invoke the, the concept of the exodus, that Jesus is now leaving Egypt to go to the promised land, just like the Israelites before did, that he is now coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And it, this identifies him with his Jewish heritage. He is the seed of Abraham. In fact, that reference that um, the angel says to him, get up, take the child and his mother, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead, is almost an exact quotation from the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 4, verse 19. Um, after Moses, right, had gone out of the land of Egypt into Midian, and then the time then where Moses is called back to be uh, the redeemer, the rescuer of the people in Egypt, God says, now return to the land of Egypt because those who are seeking, seeking to seek, take your life have, have left. And so this language that Matthew is using here is meant to invoke this concept that we've talked about this Christmas season, the idea that Jesus is recapitulating. He's living out the life experience of the people of Israel, but the way that Jesus is doing it is in the faithful way, the way that where he's not uh, falling for other gods, he's not falling away from God, he's not losing his sight on God. He is being faithful as the Son of God, whereas Israel, the Son of God, was unfaithful. Christ is being faithful. And because of this connection to his 
Jewish heritage, not only is this reference meant to inform us that Jesus is part of the people of Israel, like the seed of Abraham, right? That he is just like the people of Israel, being called out of Egypt into the promised land. Also, though, as we're going to learn later, when uh, Matthew makes this very vague reference to uh, this concept of uh, the prophets saying that he will be called the Nazarene. Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, speaks of the coming Messiah as the sprout or the branch of Jesse. This is something that's referenced even in Isaiah chapter 53 that we read. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. And this concept of a branch or a root or a shoot um, is a word in Hebrew that has the same word as Nazarene, N-Z-R. And so many people believe that Matthew is referencing this concept that uh, Jesus is this root, this branch, this sprout, the Messiah. And this is something that connects him deeply to his Jewish heritage, his Israelite heritage. And so that's the land of Israel. But then in verse 22, Jesus says, or or the, the scripture says, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now this reference to the district of Galilee is something that identifies Jesus, connects Jesus with his Gentile heritage. If you look at the, uh, the, um, if you look at the um, um, lineage in Matthew's gospel, it's a very Jewish lineage. It goes back to, um, to David. If it goes back to Abraham. But if you look in Luke, the heritage listed, the, uh, the lineage listed for Jesus goes all, way, all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Um, Adam, the son of God. And so Jesus is not only meant to identify with his particular ethnic Jewish heritage, but he's also meant to identify with his general human heritage. He is not just the representative for the Jews. He's also the representative for the Gentiles. He has not just brought salvation for the Jew. He's brought salvation for all people who are not Jews. In fact, later on in Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, he'll make another reference to this concept of Jesus being here, right, in the, uh, in the land of, of Galilee. And this is what he'll say about this. Um, verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun. And the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This, um, this reference to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, it is. Isaiah chapter 9. It's a beautiful reference to the Messiah, the Savior, because it's one of those references in the Old Testament that should have informed the Jewish people that this Messiah was the Savior of the world, humanity, not just them. This Christ, the Messiah, was coming into the world not only as the root of Jesse, not only as the seed of Abraham, but also the seed of Adam, the Son of God, for all humanity. He was coming to bring salvation from sin for everyone. And if you go and you look 
at Isaiah chapter 9 and this reference um, about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Um, this concept is Galilee of the Gentiles, meaning that Christ has come to be a light to the Gentiles, that he's the Savior for the world. He's the Savior for the Jew and the Gentile. And if you read Isaiah chapter 9, you'll come across one of the most beloved and one of the most beautiful passages of the coming Messiah. It follows this reference to Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so in one sense, uh, we know that the move that Joseph makes when he comes back to the land of Israel, deciding not to go back and live in Bethlehem where they had lived for the first couple years of Jesus' life, um, was a functional one. It was, avoid, it was to avoid the harsh ruling of Herod's son, Archelaus. We have historical uh, documents about Archelaus' short reign following Herod. Um, it was a cruel reign. It was a uh, violent reign. Um, but also the move is an ordained move. It tells us in the scripture, having been warned in a dream. Having been warned in a dream. This is a following a repetitious pattern in Matthew's gospel. Having been warned in a dream means that the moves that are happening and the things that are changing, the way that, that things are being moved and, 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 and happening are orchestrated. It's all part of God's mysterious plan. God is making these things happen. So is there a reason that Jesus um, comes back to the land of Israel but does not live in Bethlehem even though he was born in Bethlehem, but rather goes to the district or the region of Galilee. Well, part of this reason being ordained by God is that this means Jesus is moving away from the cultural and social center of Israel, the importance of the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, to a region despised by the cultural elites, to a place that was looked down upon to a place that was insignificant, meaningless. Right? It's basically Jesus moving, if he were to be here in this area, from Chicago to anywhere else in Illinois. No, I'm just kidding. But that's how most people in Illinois think, you know. And in this area, we usually say, well, I'm from South Holland. Oh, where's South Holland? I'm just, I'm from Chicago. Just, just say Chicago, right? Because everywhere else around Chicago is meaningless. It's insignificant. It gets sucked into the vacuum of Chicago. You just end up saying, I'm from Chicago, because you don't want to describe that, well, the South Holland is a south suburb. It's a village uh, south of, 20 minutes south of Chicago. You know, ah, just forget it. I live in Chicago. It's a Chicago area. That's what Jesus is doing. He's leaving the cultural center of the land of Israel, Jerusalem, the place of importance, where only the meaningful things happen and only the meaningful people live, to go 
to some insignificant backwater place in the land of Israel. The region of Galilee. And not just the region of Galilee, but verse 23. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, interestingly enough, your NIV Bible in front of you seeks to um, make things more clear by adding what's not there in the text, which is this quotation. He will be called, quote, he will be called a Nazarene, end quote. Um, Unfortunately, I think they don't do the, the scripture service by doing this. Because anytime you give quotation marks, what you're implying is that this is an exact quotation, this is an exact reference in the Old Testament. Um, but many people have been puzzled by what Matthew meant by saying, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Uh, because you can scour the entire Old Testament, you can scour the prophets, And you will not find a direct quotation referencing Jesus, the Messiah, saying he will be called a Nazarene. So what is this? What is this meaning? Well, Matthew is implying, Matthew is is using um, a practice that was very common um, in biblical literature. And that is the concept of summary fulfillment. Matthew's not making a direct quotation to the Old Testament prophets. He's saying that generally speaking, what happens because Jesus lives in Nazareth uh, fulfills prophecies in the Old Testament concerning who he would be, right? And, and as, as I said before, one of those um, interpretations is that this is a reference to uh, Nezer, uh, NZR. It's the same root used to describe the branch, the sprout, the root of Jesse that would come, that Jesus would be descendant of, um, of Jesse, that he would be this promised Messiah of David's line, right? Another um, concept is that the town name Nazareth is related to um, something in the Old Testament called the Nazarite. The Nazarite vow would be somebody who would be set apart by God for a specific purpose. If you look in the book of Judges and you look at Samson, Samson was to be a Nazarite. And there's actually a birth narrative for Samson that is um, very much so foreshadows the birth narrative of Jesus. This concept of being a Nazarite means one that's set aside, one that's ordained, one that is consecrated for a particular purpose. And this is very much in line with the term that Jesus is, uh, is, is called, the title that he's given, which is Messiah or Mashiach, which means anointed one, the Christ. Right? Um, but another way that we can understand this reference that Matthew makes to Uh, the prophets, plural, um, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene, is this concept that the prophets speak of Jesus being despised and lowly, somebody who was uh, spoken of or thought of by the people as insignificant. And this is why we read Psalm 22, um, a, a, a messianic psalm, 
One that we should all be familiar with because it begins with those words that Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with a glorious victory and all people coming to know Jesus Christ. But within that psalm, we have this reference that Jesus makes to himself, this messianic reference that Jesus says, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shake him their heads. And this is very much like Isaiah 53, this description of the Messiah, right? What does he say? What do we say? What does the prophet Isaiah say of this Messiah? He's despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This makes sense when we Look at the prologue of John's gospel that he came to his own and his own did not accept him. In that very same gospel, John chapter 1 verse 46, when one of the, um, one of the new disciples comes and, and it hears about um, this, um, this Messiah that they're all following. Um, his name is Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, some people will say one of these is the correct or proper interpretation. It either means Nazar, like the branch, Nazarite, like the Nazarite vow, somebody who's ordained, somebody who is anointed, Messiah Christ, right? Or this concept that he was despised and rejected. But what many people don't realize about the biblical writers is that they had no qualms with being in some instances, purposely vague because what Matthew was trying to depict or communicate to his readers here at the end of his birth narrative is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of all the prophets. And so Matthew has no qualms with saying I'm talking about the branch. I'm talking about the Nazarite vow. I'm talking about this concept of being despised and rejected. All of it is being fulfilled in Christ. Because, as I said before, Christ in this passage is identifying with his unique ethic, eth- ethnic Jewish heritage. He's identifying with his calling to all peoples of the world by identifying with his general human heritage. But here at the end, when this reference is mentioned about he will be called Nazarene, I think in particular, Jesus is identifying with sinners. I think if we're all honest with ourselves about our condition in this fallen, broken world, I think if we're all honest with ourselves when we're not feeling the joy of the Christmas spirit, when we feel the weight of all our responsibilities and duties, I think when we're all honest with ourselves about our need for a Savior, what we come down to, what we realize is that we are broken. 
dirty. We struggle with shame. We feel despised and rejected. Insignificant. There's nothing about us that makes us meaningful or beautiful. And I think what is so profound about our Messiah, our Savior, is that he does not come as a celebrity in most beautiful form, nothing wrong with him at all. He does not come photoshopped to be on the front of a magazine. He does not come where all of us can admire him and say, oh, wow, look, it's Jesus. He comes as somebody who is human. Insignificant. Despised and lowly. There's nothing about him that would draw you to him by his looks. He comes from the area of Galilee, the backwater town of Nazareth. He comes as one who gets insults hurled at him, whose very own people reject him. He experiences all of that while being the Son of God, God with us, Emmanuel, and does not shake his head, and does not say, I deserve glory, but rather he walks the humble path of the cross. He submits himself to a wrongful death on the cross. He submits himself to being spat on, stripped naked, and hung up for all to see. And you know why he does that? He becomes like us so we can become like him. He chooses the path of humility because in the path of humility, God in his time exalts him. And so my encouragement to all of you this Christmas morning is that when you feel despised and rejected, when you feel insignificant and meaningless, when you feel that your life lacks purpose, that you are a sinner struggling with sin, that you are somebody who is um, unimportant, I want to remind you that your God, your Savior, came into this world and he was despised and lowly. He was rejected. And he did this so that in his death, 
in his resurrection, in his life, we might have life. In his life, death, and resurrection, we might know. We might know that our life does have meaning and purpose. That our sins can be washed away. That even though right now we may be walking the path of humility, one day God will exalt us to be at the right hand of him with Jesus Christ, our Savior. That we might know that the reason our life has meaning and purpose is because God chose to save us and show and reveal his grace and mercy to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He became like us so we could become like Him. Fear not the advent of the great I Am. Humble He comes to the world as a Lamb. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You. For this Christmas Day, we thank You for the coming of our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, that he was not ashamed to be despised and lowly, so that through his humility, we might be exalted. Lord, we might be forgiven of our sins. We might know the value of our lives and the worth of our souls. We might know, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus Christ, we are not put to shame. That, Lord, we can stand high and tall. Because he, in his life, death, resurrection, he has shown us our value and our worth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would not be ashamed to be despised and lowly by the world. For we know that this is what our Savior chose as well. If it means that we are viewed highly by you. We ask for the strength to keep in mind this day and forever the advent of our Savior and to always and never forget that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we ask all this and pray that you answer this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.